You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they might have on the manufacturing industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also going live again today on YouTube. So if you want to ask questions, please drop those in the comment section and we'll get the uh, we'll get to those as we are going along through the podcast. Uh, Jeff, how are you doing this week? Good. I'm doing real good. I mean, this is this should be a really good episode. I think this might be the most diverse collection of topics yeah. with these stories to talk about. So hopefully I don't screw it up. Should be a good one. Yeah, some of them are dense. Anna, yes. <laughs> how are you doing this week? Uh fine, thanks. Um did you get stung by any wasps this week, Jeff? No, but I have like emptied two cans of like the poison, the spray on them, and they're just still buzzing around that that hive. That what? Hole. Really? So this may be like a sci-fi channel movie in mm. um, you know in its origins here, like the unkillable hornets in my yard. You got to call the pro. You got to call the pros. I'm going to get some gas or something. This could this could be the topic of next week's podcast: how I burn myself Blow trying torch. to eliminate yeah. the, uh, the the hornets. If you plan on taking them out with fire, <laughs> call me. Yeah, let's get the video oh, no. crew out there. Should I would get like the video to see crew this. Out there. Yeah. This could be good. <laughs> this could be good. And it's right Do next to a tree, so what what could happen? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing bad that could it's happen. It's near there. a tree and a house. My family is home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, again, we're live, so ask questions, and we'll address those as we get to it. But let's jump into the top stories this week. First story, UPS to hire 100,000, many in 30 minutes or less. On Thursday, the delivery company announced plans to hire more than 100,000 people for the busy holiday shipping season. The company also promised some applicants job offers within 30 minutes of applying. The job market is tight, and UPS wants to hire workers as fast as it can. According to UPS, candidates want instant gratification. So, the company changed some things up. The positions include package handlers and driver helpers, who basically take the package from the truck and deliver it to your doorsteps, but don't drive the vehicle. The jobs pay between $15 and $22 per hour, and once you're hired, you could be working the next day. Previously, the hiring process could take up to two weeks. Jeff, does this sound like a smart hiring strategy to you? I think so. I think it's really unique, the fact, first of all, that they're doing this so quickly, Mm -hmm. taking a lot of the the back and forth, the the interviewing process, just coordinating that, which can take so much time. Yeah. And if they really need this many people, I mean, 100,000 people, that's like 20% of their current workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a huge number, really novel approach that way. And what I think is also encouraging is when you see the high end of that up more, it's 20, up towards $22 per hour makes them highly competitive with a lot of other folks out there also in a similar situation. What I think... It could be a real interesting situation here. So just to throw out some numbers, UPS globally employs like 540,000 people, mm-hmm. okay? About uh, 260,000 of these people are in a union. Mm-hmm. That union is not just any union. It is the Teamsters, mm-hmm. okay? So a very powerful union at that. And when you look at the legacy or the history of UPS, they've got about 138,000 current employees that at some time were seasonal employees. Oh, so that's yeah. how they, they were hired mm-hmm. on so a seasonal on and it became um, full-time. So if you're spending this little amount of time sort of qualifying these individuals, you're basically looking at stuff online, probably doing a quick background check, they can join that union. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a seasonal contract. So basically, they're going to get hired in October. They're done in January. That's that's what it is. But during that time, they can get fired. But if they're paying union dues, and they've got a very strong union behind them. Like this could create kind of a unique situation if somebody feels they're being wrongfully terminated because you've got a strong union and you've also got this company with a very strong number of people who started as these seasonal employees and kind of can feel for them or understand where they're coming from. So I think it's a really novel approach on UPS's part. I just see like there is that possibility for this to be kind of a, a can of worms for them too if a lot of these folks don't work out. Right. So kind of interesting. Anna, cutting it down from two weeks down to 30 minutes, I feel like maybe they're going to miss some of the red flags that would normally come up throughout that betting process. 
You know, maybe, but um, this seems to be the trend is trying to come up with some of these shortcuts to give yourself a competitive advantage in this super strange job market. Mm-hmm. Um, foregoing interviews is one of their techniques here. Um, that's one trend that experts believe may become commonplace. Um, I read an article published by the Society for Human Resource Management. Snooze. <laughs> um, just kidding. Uh, but they said that like virtual hiring is one of the big trends for 2021, which makes sense. I mean, we hired two people during the pandemic that we never met face to face until one of them we still never met face to face. I think it's clear that you don't need to sit across from someone in a room. Obviously, that process slows things down a lot. UPS uh, going from two weeks. Uh, that's already a very quick turnaround for hiring. A lot of businesses are much, much slower than that. Mm-hmm. Um, another note I found from the report that I found interesting was that the um, Society for Human Resource Management described recruiters' thirst for knowledge and new skills as frantic during the pandemic. Um, okay. They said recruiters worked really hard to hone their abilities to remotely hire and onboard. Mm-hmm. This is a classic example of a business deciding, like, look, we need to turn our traditional hiring process on its head. Um because they really needed to adapt to these business conditions. So I wonder if other businesses are willing or able to be that nimble. Mm -hmm. Um, My guess is there's a lot of companies that are complaining that they can't hire, but they're sort of trotting out the same old strategy. It's the same classified ad that they've used for the last 30 years. Right. Like, like, UPS is going to reap the benefits of this. I think if it's spotty and maybe they get, you know, maybe 80,000 work out of 100,000 or whatever, that's still incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, if this can speed things up and obviously there's going to be some holes in that process or you're going to have some problems, of course, but is the success rate like that much better using a traditional method? I don't know. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's true. Yeah. Um, Well, and maybe, maybe they have more automation or things in place where you can kind of like flag a worker pretty early on that's not going to work out. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the other thing, I mean, you talk about the new hires. As we were getting applications in, people were withdrawing them mm-hmm. before we were even able to read them because they were being hired into other positions. And it was it was very frustrating mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you would receive the email that one had been submitted. And by the time you go to look at it, it was already withdrawn. Like, what did I do? But you have to account for that as well as the flip side of this. Like, so if you think that the speeding up the hiring process to this point is going to create some problems. Mm -hmm. Slowing it down is also going to create some problems. So I don't know that there's necessarily like, you you know, I think this is a great strategy. Yeah. I don't know how transferable it is, though, to other types of jobs or industries. I mean, 100,000 people, they're obviously, it's a quantity type thing. Well, and it's low scale, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you could get somebody in the door to pull a package out of a truck and run it to a door. That's that's different than having to... Train someone significantly, but, um, but I mean, there's a lot of jobs like this out there that are competing for, you know, like Mm -hmm. Amazon's hiring a ton of people right now, Target, Walmart, everybody is really fighting for the same group of workers, um, people you can train on the job and such. So, I mean, but there's also low skill jobs that are, uh, need to be filled in manufacturing also. And they're not being filled. They're not being filled from assembly, even like low skill machine tending, um, just people that work around just regular shop maintenance. Like, I mean, I think some of those positions might stand to benefit, not from a strategy exactly like this, but maybe a quicker turnaround to snap up potential. Well, it's a, it's a paradigm shift, right? Because mm-hmm. there's how many times have we talked to somebody and been like, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. who we're going to, oh, that's yeah. who we're going yeah. with. But mm-hmm. you want to talk to everybody so you don't miss out on something or, or whatever the case is. That's changing now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you find somebody, you got to go. Yeah. Um, what it made me think about is also the shift to autonomous delivery robots and drones. Uh, just because right now this seems like a stopgap to me because of the new technology that's been coming out that might potentially replace these positions sometime in a holiday shipping season in the future. Uh, for example, in 2019, Ford partnered with Agility Robotics. And you might remember it was that humanoid robot called Digit that they were putting into those self-driving vehicles. Mm-hmm. And the basically it would be like the UPS truck pulls up autonomously the humanoid robot deploys out the back and takes the package to your doorstep. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and actually maybe not that far away because in 2020, Agility officially launched Digit for commercial sale and Ford became its first customer, not only to investigate autonomous delivery applications, but also warehouse positions. And the company raised $20 million last year to accelerate robot deployments. 
And right now, these robots cost about $250,000. But and Agility is only going to make about 40 of them this year. Mm-hmm. However, using the $20 million to scale up, they're going to start producing more. And the price is going to drop to about $70,000 per robot. And so the, I'm just saying that that's a pretty quick ROI if you can actually make it work for these first mile or last 50 feet delivery applications. Okay. But it does, does it have to be humanoid because people hate humanoid <laughs> robots? Like, yeah, that's the ima- first thing that came yeah, like people are yeah. just going to be like, Ugh, or it's, it, it's very comfortable looking. It looks just like a human body without a head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my kids will stop going in the front yard. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can imagine what, how the kids will respond. Actually, I think kids might be into it. Just mm-hmm. like, no screaming, lots yeah. of screaming digits coming. Digits here. Stay away from it. Yeah. Um, But I just thought that that was an, this might be what we see in the future as we talk more about autonomous delivery, Um, not just drones, but, you know, humanoid delivery robots. Cool. Yeah. All to make sure you get it in two days or less. There's so or many to keep of them. your shipping costs down. I mean, they're just going to get pushed over and then they're going to be stuck on their side. Someone has to come out and lift them back up. That was a real when they were uh, that was like a real problem because every <laughs> uh, everyone's walk from the road to their doorstep is mm-hmm. different. So, you know, you have the people with like the decorative stones and stuff. Oh, people, sure. And they were like falling over on it. But, you know, work in progress. Right. Yeah. yeah. You got to get there. All right. Our next most popular story. Craft Brewery CEO sued for misappropriating $100 million. Based in Wisconsin, New Glarus Brewery is best known for the brand Spotted Cow. Founded in 1993, the Craft Brewery employs about 120 people and is co-owned by the husband and wife team of Dan and Deb Carey. Dan's the brewmaster, Deb is the CEO. The company is the 12th largest craft brewer in the U.S. with annual sales around $20 million. However, Brewery shareholders are suing company CEO Deb Carey, accusing her of malfeasance with the company's financials. Part of the problem is the new Sugar River Distillery, which was designed to be owned by the brewery, but Carey transferred ownership to her and her husband without notifying stockholders. The suit also claims that the brewery failed to distribute more than $100 million in earnings, including over $40 million in cash. Carrie says she was blindsided by the lawsuit, which she thinks is retaliation for her decision to not lay off employees or seek PPP funds over the last year. Deb, Deb Carey does have to report to a board of directors, but Anna, she's the only member. <laughs> I wonder if she's going to reprimand herself. I like it. Um, for those of you who have never been to New Glarus, Wisconsin, and I'm assuming that's most of you. <laughs> Um, it is adorable, and the brewery is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of love for New Glarus Brewing in Wisconsin. So when this story broke locally, there was a lot of opinions mm-hmm. um, about it. <laughs> What's interesting is that the two sides have very dramatically different stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, like you said, Deb Carey is contending that sh- this is retaliation for her paying employees during the pandemic, but... I- I feel like public retaliation for keeping people's lights on and feeding their families would be a very confusing strategy to take right. um, on the behalf of these investors. So some of these allegations are strange, but also her defense is strange. Um, but I do, you know, back to, to this board of directors, I find it strange that these investors, if they want to be involved in decisions relating to business expenditures and things like that, why are they comfortable with the CEO being the only board member Mm -hmm. that seems highly unusual Mm -hmm. and it's really not a great foundation for like collaborative decision making so already the structure of this is strange so i will be interested to see if this lawsuit goes anywhere Mm -hmm. or if they look at you know precedent and say sorry you you know this was you agreed to this you know when you got involved here i don't know how legally it's going to work out but um, a very interesting story that I cannot take any position on because the two sides are so diametrically opposed. It's hard to know what is happening yeah. here. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, one of the things that I found interesting. So, you know, I, it makes sense. Their claims from the shareholders make sense to me. Right. Because they initially started out with a twenty five thousand dollar investment that is worth up to $10 million now. So yeah. I get that they want, you know, maybe they want a little money out of their investment. But 
if what she says is true, all they're doing is potentially doing great harm to the value of that company. Yeah, I mean, this and this one hits close to home because almost all of us have mm-hmm. consumed the products from New Glarus Brewery. Mm-hmm. Not all of us, no. No. Because they don't make a gin. But <laughs> um, it is it is an odd situation. What it came down to in sort of reading between the lines here is Deb Carey could have been much more transparent, not just in these things, but also in some other stuff. There were some, reportedly some um, acquisition offers that basically mm-hmm. she did not share with her oh. shareholders. shareholders. Um, there were some other things that if she would have just been maybe clearer on the shareholders, because they are vast minority shareholders, she owns an overwhelming majority of stock in this company, her mm-hmm. and her husband. Mm-hmm. So I think she just felt basically, I've taken your investment, made it worth how many times more? Let me do my thing and leave me alone. Yeah. The shareholders are going, that's fine to a point, but you got to clue us in here a little bit. Yeah. Because like with the Sugar River Distillery, not only did she transfer the ownership over there, but like she hired her daughter to design and build it. Okay. Yeah. So that makes it, mm. you know, uh, that, that raises some questions. There. Yeah. And like with the money that they didn't, she basically didn't distribute there. She didn't steal it. They're not making any of those types of claims. She yeah. basically just didn't make it available to the shareholders because mm-hmm. she figured, hey, you've made your millions here. Let's keep this in the family, so to speak, and take care of things in-house. Yeah, She's not right. Mm-hmm. She, you can't do that. If you've got shareholders, it doesn't matter what their stake is, they have to be in the loop. Yeah. And that's that's part of the issue. And I think just hearing her comments and also doing a little bit of research on the, how the, the brewery was formed and everything like that, I think she just wants these people to just be happy with what they have and leave her alone. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I mean, so few investment like uh, opportunities actually pay off. They did. And I mean, you, you got to deal with, yeah. you know, once it makes it big. What I found really interesting, I mean, outside of the other accusation where she's actually, she reinvested some of the money she didn't distribute to buy more shares to water down there. Yeah, she she's kind Allegedly. of accused of, of sort of being a bully to some yeah. of these minority shareholders and basically buying their voting rights. Yeah. So then when it did come to any type of vote, she, she had the <laughs> just very shrewd. overwhelming yeah. majority yeah. here. And the one other only point I was going to bring up is this does come in a year, surprisingly enough, in 2020, where there was a decline in the amount of craft beer that was actually made. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes from the fact that most of these folks do depend on people coming to their brew house and their mm-hmm. bar and stuff like that and drinking the beer. So New Glarus was in a good place. They were financially insulated from a lot of that. But nationwide, if these shareholders are also looking like, geez, there was this drop, we're not seeing the same payouts, what's going on? get this kind of situation no i mean they've really seemed to navigate the pandemic well we've had three other wildly popular breweries in the madison area that have closed Mm -hmm. just because they couldn't keep the doors open because they couldn't keep the brewery open um what i found interesting was that they're the 12th largest craft brewer by volume and they only sell in wisconsin Mm -hmm. that's incredible yeah um i don't know if you guys looked into the number one number one is yingling Number two, Boston beer. Number three, Sierra Nevada. And it's just see in Boston beer, that's yeah. like that doesn't seem like a craft brewery. No. But um yeah. yeah, how do you get that designation? I feel like that's a little bit slippery. Yeah. If you're not like what if you're independently owned? I think so. It has nothing to do with volume. Like can't be volume. Yeah. No, because uh because Yingling, uh, even though they're uh independently owned, is the sixth largest in terms of sales, mm-hmm. like compared to any brewer, wow. which is incredible. That is yeah. incredible. Um, all right. Our next most popular story. Elon Musk's Tesla bot raises serious concerns. This one gets a little long. Apologies, guys. We tried to we tried to really cut her back. Elon Musk recently announced the Tesla bot, a humanoid robot designed and developed by Tesla to ease the burden of manual labor and repetitive tasks. The 125-pound human-like robot will use Tesla's automotive artificial intelligence and autopilot technologies to plan and follow routes, walk among pedestrians, and avoid obstacles. Andrew Maynard is a researcher at Arizona State who studies the ethical and socially responsible development and use of emerging technologies. Andrew has some concerns. Part of the problem is Musk's desire to make tech more human. For example, rather than LiDAR, Tesla's autopilot features uh, feature uses cameras connected to the AI's brain to autonomously navigate roads. Musk wants his car to see like a human because it's navigating an environment designed for and by humans. Really, 
It's a small step from human-inspired robot on wheels to a human-like robot on legs. Maynard has concerns over what he calls, or what are called, orphan risks, or risks that are easy to overlook, yet inevitable. The Tesla bot's orphan risks are many, including threats to privacy, human responses to humanoid robots, problems with ethics like, should the Tesla bot be a cop? Real-life RoboCop here. And even the inevitable unauthorized modifications to the robots by consumers. These are challenges that engineers aren't trained to predict or plan for, but overlooking them could be disastrous. Jeff, Maynard says that now is the time to ask tough questions, but I feel like he might be one of the only people asking him. <laughs> well, he's, and he brings up a lot of great points, and I think all of those questions are extremely valid. To me, when I start seeing this type of stuff, it, I think, and he said it in the article, it's basically just because we can do it, should we? Mm-hmm. And I'm torn because in some instances, I look at um, personal one here for my mom. It would be great because she, she has some trouble with her eyes right now. If she didn't have to go to the store, didn't have mm-hmm. to get in the car, and she had this robotic assistant that could basically do that, mm-hmm. that would be great. At the same time, you know, there are issues right now. We're dealing with privacy concerns, a lot of data that we have to put in there. Um, there's still This is still a long ways from being viable and reliable, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, it also... On another level, it just too much of this takes away from the social experience of sort of being a human being. Okay. I mean, nobody is thrilled about having to stop at the grocery store and run in and get a bunch of stuff. But that's also to me just like part of being a person. Yeah. And I don't know having having an option that just removes that so easily isn't as appealing to me. I know you can deliver stuff and that sort of removes that already, but to have, I don't know, an in-house robot. That would, that would remove a lot of those day-to-day things. I don't know. Um, in an industrial setting, it makes more sense to me because yeah. you are keeping workers safe, you know, in terms of whether it's unloading semis or dealing with other other things of that nature in the plant. That makes more sense. But it's like you can't have – it's not a give and take. It's either the technology is there to be utilized or it's not. And so it seems like we're going towards that way. We talk about autopilots almost every week, almost every week here – and the issues that we have with it not being regulated. So this is essentially a humanoid robot on running on the autopilot uh, platform. I mean, that has to give you a couple of concerns, right, Jeff? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing that would be more concerning is if it could like 3D print a gun as well or something. I don't know. Don't I mean, go, don't go putting ideas into the Tesla yeah, bot's head now. Right. Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, Anna, really, if it just stays away from flashing lights and emergency vehicles, <laughs> I'm sure the Tesla bot will be fine otherwise. Yeah, I know that Maynard makes the point of we need to ask these questions now, but like this is nowhere close to existing, right? I mean, um, I, I took a, a few issues with like what what he brought up, I guess. One, which he's suggesting that <clears throat> there's all these orphan threats, as you mentioned, um, and that um that the, that subject matter is not being covered um in teaching engineering students um mm-hmm. i guess my question is how do we know that uh, you know engineers are pretty well versed in application and i guess i'd be surprised if the nuances of ai are completely lost on these people <laughs> yeah. with high level degrees in product design i mean even elon musk believes that ai should not be unregulated in fact he's been a very vocal proponent of creating a i guess a framework for how ai should be regulated yeah there's lots of other companies out there that are trying to design like products. I don't know that going after Elon Musk is necessarily the right target because I think that he might be one of those actors. I know we've seen this stuff with autopilot, which is concerning. I agree that it's concerning. I've said that before. Um, but like he, he, he's not like the worst out there, the worst actor out there. I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, and he also has a, a track record of dressing up a person as a robot and then like trotting it out as like a design concept. That's, you know, essentially what he did with this recently. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a real thing yet. It's not, he's, he's, he's the one who's like talking about um, fully autonomous uh, driving and he's not even close to that. He's still at level two and he's been talking about it for years. I just don't think that maybe 
he is the the necessary target of our concern here. I think maybe mm-hmm. there are other places that we should be looking because right now there's lots of stuff with AI that's been using being used irresponsibly. Yeah, you know, like that's already out there. So I don't know if Elon Musk this, is there. To me, this isn't an Elon Musk issue. Mm-hmm. This is a technology issue. This is a humanoid robot type yeah. issue. And I guess for me, more than <clears throat> more than even the safety concerns, it's the comfortability level that there's just something about this that does not sit right. It's different when you look at a robotic arm in an industrial sector who's picking up a piece and putting Mm -hmm. it here or unloading or loading a a Mm semi-trailer. This is out there interacting on a much broader level within our different levels of our society. Believe yeah. me, I don't want anything to do with this. Thing. I mean, I think I made that clear when we were talking about a delivery robot. Like, yeah. get this stuff away from me. Um, but I, I don't think that it's um, so close to, like, existing in our lives, really. I mean, humanoid robots, people hate them. Like, mm-hmm. I don't – I think you'd have to get a lot of buy-in from consumers before these are, like, really rolled out in mass. Well, I mean, to your point, Anna, you know, he talks about Elon Musk's Tesla bot – because if this story is agility robotics digit raises serious concerns, everybody's like, who cares about digit? What's that? Yeah, yeah. what's digit? And uh, the other thing, to Jeff's point, I completely agree about the uh, <laughs> removing the human experience from life. Because, I mean, uh, I think that the world could use a little more manual labor and repetitive tasks. You know, it's uh, – I. You know, I actually find going to the grocery store to be decompressing and like a cathartic experience. I understand that that's not the same for everybody, but, you know, they probably like things that I hate. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like beer. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. This beer drinking robot. Milkshakes are also garbage. Um, So weird. Fruit pies. Yeah. Yeah, Also garbage. These are all bad things. We can universally understand that. No. um, But I was just so I think that it's it's interesting because. Elon Musk will be the first person to always say like, hey, it's real easy for this to go too far. Yeah. And uh, and another point that you raised is that engineers are incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. They are. We've uh, I've been interviewing engineers for the last 10 years. But the one thing they will also say is, no, it's it's right. It's supposed to do that. And then you say, why? And they say, because I told it to do that and mm-hmm. I know what's right. And you're just like, and I mean, yeah. sometimes that's, you know, Sometimes engineers fall down a little bit because they know they're the smartest person in the room. Sure, but I don't think that that like is fairly represents the ability for critical thinking that these people have and they understand like I think the ethical side of it when this is their business to build these robots. I don't think that people are just walking into it cold and being like this is the machine. No, but like their ethical response are there could be two engineers with the with all of these orphan risks that completely are on each side of it. We're like, some people would think, should Tesla a bot be a cop? And mm-hmm. people would easily think like, no, sounds like a nightmare. Right. But d- then other people would be like, absolutely. You know, to David's rules. point, the same thing with engineering is it's right until it fails almost. There's always, yeah. they always want to make it better and upgrade it. Mm-hmm. But until it's proven wrong, it's right. And that's what's a little scary about this too. And you look at autopilot as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, autopilot's scary, I agree. But don't you think that if this technology is coming anyway, who better to spearhead it and create some sort of protocol for it than Elon Musk, who is the one who has always said we need to rein in AI, there need to be global regulations around AI. Right. The loudest ones are always the most honest about what they're yelling about. I but what 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 is his incentive to say that if he doesn't <clears throat> believe it? I it's I, I not a strange thing do. to think. No, I mean that's just me uh, being uh, the devil's advocate. But uh, the David's advocate. <laughs> that's I mean you know that's that's an in house joke. That's an in house joke. <laughs> There's a reason that yeah. it exists. <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, no, I am encouraged that you know he uh, was the, one of the biggest uh, people to promote the uh, the killer robot pact that everybody signed Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of regulating AI. And I completely agree. It's just, you know, uh, with uh, to Jeff's point, you know, just because we can sometimes we do need to continue to ask if we should. And I don't want the dumb robot. I don't want to be misrepresented here. I don't I want to I don't want it. But if it's going (laughs) to if it's going to exist. Yeah. We're all against dumb robots. Don't want the dumb robot. We can take Mm -hmm. collectively. Very good. Very good. All right. Our next most popular story this week. Driving could be outlawed by 2050. 
A new report from ID TechX suggests that advances in technology could make driving a car obsolete by 2050. The report found that self-driving cars are currently traveling about 30,000 miles between interventions by human drivers, and the number is climbing by a factor of two each year. So, by 2024, autonomous cars could match or exceed the safety of human drivers. By 2046, self-driving vehicles could be able to cover 3 trillion miles, the entirety of the U.S.'s mobility demand. By 2050, they would be able to cover the entire mobility demand of the world, averaging less than one collision per year. So, the analysts asked if manual driving will and should continue to exist. Jeff. <laughs> I, I, oh, boy. Um, <laughs> some big swings here with some of their numbers. Um, yeah. Just on Maybe. scale. Maybe. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when I read through it, and it's very interesting when you mm-hmm. look at kind of um, how they go step by step through that, is there still a big difference between something being unnecessary and illegal? Okay. Yeah. So even if it becomes unnecessary to drive, I mean, whether it's the sort of the minority report where you just everybody gets into the same looking vehicle and you're on your maglev to wherever you got to go, yeah, um, there's still going to be people want to drive a car. I mean, it's just it's fun, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I think getting to the point of illegal, um, yeah, I don't I don't know if we'll get to that point. The other thing is, as far as this autonomous technology goes, first of all, it's primarily rideshare right now. When you look at Waymo and Cruise, they're not building cars; mm-hmm. they're big. It's more out there as a Robo taxi type of dynamic. Yeah. So to take that next step in terms of this is what's parked in your driveway, mm-hmm. we're still a ways away from. Yeah, that. I agree. I, I, I feel think. like that was overlooked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, if we do go that route where we're driving in autonomous vehicles, there's still a lot of debate out there in terms of what that'll do to the cost mm-hmm. of a new vehicle. It's kind of all over the place in terms of which I've saw in my research everything from like fifteen thousand dollar like a module that's like another infotainment thing you just kind of plug in mm-hmm. to like these are vehicles are going to add seventy five thousand dollars onto the price of a vehicle. Right. So it, who knows? Um, I think I think it's an interesting topic to debate in terms of how we go there. But I just know me personally, I'm always going to want that element of control if it's at all possible, especially when you're weaving in between other people. I mean, we've talked a lot about the one element I think the pandemic has actually made people less attentive, less attentive driving Mm -hmm. or worse drivers. Absolutely. So right now, this doesn't resonate with me. I want to be able to have some sort of hands on the wheel control. But if we can't eventually get there, yeah. I mean, it, it would be an interesting debate if we actually have enough reliability in autonomous vehicles where we don't have to drive. I mean, should we? That's yeah. It's an interesting um, conversation. You want the ability, you know, if the autonomous car cuts you off, to just, you know, give them a little one. Just a reminder that you're there. <laughs> We're playing one. bumper cars on the, on the bell line. That'd be yeah. fantastic. And uh, in 29 years, you can't drive on your own anymore. It's gone. It's banned. Yeah, I know that. Uh, Jeff mentioned that it's a fun debate, but I'm not going to debate you too much on this one because I, I, I don't know. There are lots of things that, that lead to injury and death in our society, and <laughs> and they'll be outlawed too. In within 30 years, like I don't know. I mean, a society that allows driving an activity that people enjoy, um, they would have to like be outlawing junk food, alcohol, snowmobiles, boats, like self point. selfies yeah. near the Grand Canyon. I don't know. Like we know, <laughs> no. like we which, know all that, of which they tried regulating, but, but not outlawing, you know, like we have not outlawed cigarettes. We have known for many, yeah. many decades at what those yeah. do. Right. And they're still on the market. I mean, I just see this kind of speculation as a little bit unhelpful, honestly. Like I know some of our readers felt the same way. Oh, yeah. I want to emphasize this was not our projection. This was just, <laughs> Uh, simply reporting on these findings, um, not in support of it, uh, but it certainly struck a nerve with um, sub- subscribers, and I can see why. Like in reality, I think if autonomous vehicles are widely adopted by choice, and that cuts down the rate of serious or fatal accidents in a significant way, then society is going to see that as a win, and probably not see the need to regulate that further. I'm guessing. Um, <clears throat> I don't just. I just don't see this happening, and certainly not in. Less than 30 years, I think that's ludicrous. Well, what do you think has a greater chance of happening? First, because we've talked about the issues with like autopilot and other driverless mm-hmm. technologies, that there have been fatalities and incidents. Drones, if you look at the amount of miles flown, I guess, and compare that to the number of incidents, mm-hmm. less. Yeah. So what would what's going to happen first? 
are we going to get on an airline without a pilot first or a taxi without a driver? Mm, definitely think, taxi without a driver. Yeah, I, I, and not an airline. Uh, I see more of like the uh, quadcopter, autonomous quadcopter, like air taxi. Deal. Yeah, okay. the urban air mobility quadcopter. Okay. Before you'll have like an autonomous aircraft. Okay. Um, listener Jesse has a question. And actually, uh, it's kind of uh, I'm kind of curious too. Have either of you guys used the self park feature on a car? Uh, she mentions that she doesn't even trust that yet, and I've never used one. Have either of you guys? Mm-mm. No, I've not had that. Yeah, no, I don't even trust the camera when I'm backing up. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't do it. It's so hard to get there. used to not turning around. Yeah. Well, and also, as soon as I got the camera, I was like, "What a beautiful feature!" And my godfather was just like. Ah, yeah, I got a camera in my brand new truck. Never had so many accidents. I hit everything. I'm like, well, you know, drink less. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Uh, he won't listen to this, but in the rare events, it's not true. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I do see uh, some of the readers kind of responded in a way like I do see this as a solution, an, uh, an urban solution where there are already increasing restrictions because of air quality, stuff like that. So I could see like large cities being autonomous only and then outside of the city, not so much. Yeah, we still have a ways to go. I, mean, I know there's a long yeah. ways to go with that. Maybe um, not within uh, <clears throat> maybe not within 30 years. Maybe not. Maybe it's not autonomous cars. Maybe yeah. it's. uh you know, better mass transit, you yeah. know, but uh, well, I see to, that more. Like to that. Jesse's point, I mean, that would be so weird for me to push a button and take my hands off the wheel because that's what you see how these things work. The wheel is moving and everything. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't, <laughs> it'd be a long time before I get used to that. I don't trust I don't the red line on the camera. I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm not yeah. getting near that thing. Well, and there's, I mean, if you look at the data, it's still like well over half of um, consumers surveyed say that they, don't trust the technology mm-hmm. and um there's 20 percent, i think said that they will never it will never be safe and so they will never you know yeah, and no. i know that like as they make inroads with the technology people's comfort level will probably shift a bit but there's a lot of work to do on the perception side of what point. people feel comfortable with the yeah. other thing we have to understand is that we are you know we're aging out of this equation where we have less and less people that want to drive mm-hmm. less and less people that want to hand, you know, like, or not necessarily drive, but want to handle the car. So maybe if the numbers continue in the same direction in terms of like people getting licenses and driving, if they just won't accept that as a, you know, method of transportation, maybe they're going to force this issue because I don't think so. I think that yeah. what the, the conclusion then is that this technology will exist. Mm-hmm. alongside people driving their cars. I don't see this ever being outlawed. I mean, at least not in our lifetime. Well, let's put a pin in that one, and in 30 years we can come Should back to Should we do it. like a quick recap in 30 years? Yeah, and just like, yeah, we never saw this coming. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're going to do this for yep, 30 years. Yep. Producer Alex. Yeah, Alex. Get You're going to sit right there for all 30 of mm-hmm. them. Buckle mm-hmm. up for this autonomous ride. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Our most popular story this week was kind of kind of caught us all by surprise, but it was Coleman closing plant and 175 jobs lost. According to a report in the Star Tribune, Newell Brands is closing the Coleman plant in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota by the end of 2021. As a result, 175 workers will be out of a job. Most of the layoffs will occur around December 31st, 2021. In a statement, Newell said it's getting out of the industrial and government flotation product businesses. Until 2008, the plant was owned by Stearns, Inc. and manufactured life jackets primarily for the government and some recreational products. The company will maintain the Stearns recreational line. Anna, what I took away from the story first was that there are industrial and government flotation devices. No, no, I had no idea that was a product category. I had to look that one up. Yeah. 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 Company issued pool party life jackets. <laughs> That's not what it's for. If anyone's watching, um, yeah, it was interesting. So Newell, the company that owns the Coleman brand, they have a very diverse array of products. Um, some of which were very pandemic friendly, like they make crock pots and Mister Coffee and stuff like that. They make food storage containers, but they also have lines that probably didn't fare so well during the pandemic, like school and office supplies. Like they own Elmer's Glue. Oh yeah, Sharpie. 
those sniffy markers. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, who you, bought? You draw with them also. But you can also <laughs> sniff them. <laughs> yes. And yes. you sniff them the most. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, the, the company um, posted a $770 million loss in 2020. Wow. Um, probably because some of those product categories I mentioned. But um, if they're looking to streamline this business niche, seems like maybe an easy target. I don't know. It's, you know, it's clear based on the Coleman website and what we know of the Coleman brand that it is very consumer outdoor at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very strong brand uh, and everybody knows it when it comes to camping. So unfortunately for the St. Cloud, Minnesota region, this isn't the first hit that they've taken to their manufacturing sector, which saw the closure of an Electrolux plant in 2019. And then more recently, IWCO Direct um, in Little Falls, which is a northern suburb, mm-hmm. that announced uh, a closure that was impacting more than 300 workers um, in that region just a, a week or two ago. Right. So, um, you know, whatever the business reason from Newell, which probably makes sense to them, this region is really suffering right now, which is unfortunate. No, that was one of my takeaways from the story is that uh, – this is unfortunately going to be an, an, an inevitable and longstanding consequence of mergers and acquisitions. Just killing lines and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, uh, production lines are going to fold, jobs are going to get lost or moved. And uh, unfortunately, for about 200 people, Jeff, in Minnesota, uh, this comes as just a really bad news week. Yeah. You know, it, with all due appreciation for the impact that this had, it was surprising that this got this much attention. Mm-hmm. And I guess the reasons that that I would think is, number one, it is a brand name we all recognize. We oh, know yeah. Coleman. It's also, I think, a little bit surprising because when you think of an outdoor brand or outdoor recreational product, all we heard during the pandemic is that these products were in high demand. There was a lot of sales, a lot of people going camping, fishing, boating, all that kind of stuff. You and I have shared stories over people who sold boats for a profit, which oh. is probably the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> yeah. Somebody sold a boat and actually made money on it. Yeah. And when you look at these devices, I mean, that's what it's for. They're, mm-hmm. they're life jackets and other things like that. And really, when you look at the government and industrial sector, a lot of the stuff that the Stearns brand, which is basically who this is, what they put out is some pretty incredible stuff. I mean, this is like what the um, rescue divers are wearing when they go in to rescue people in cold water and stuff. So really interesting stuff, really surprising that this category would take this kind of hit. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of the issues that Minnesota is having right now with some of their manufacturing. What was interesting in looking at sort of the the history or legacy of this company is 20 years ago, they also closed a facility in this area, but they did it in one day. Oh, really? They called <laughs> folks in on a Friday and said, get your stuff. Yeah. Um, we're going to be closed for the good. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least they were, they were able to give them four months here yeah. um, mm-hmm. and take care of them that way. But I think, like you guys said, um, competitive marketplace as well. There's a lot of folks out there. There's a bit, a bit of a higher end brand. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get out of the industrial or excuse me, the industrial and government sector focus probably a little bit more on the um, recreational personal offerings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that makes sense that the recreational products are exploding right now. But yeah. I mean, is there anything to be said? Like, uh, I mean, you have such a diverse uh, portfolio. So that way you are insulated when there are, you know, they can survive a pandemic and still post a $770 million loss. But it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, huge losses because of like school supplies or other product lines could impact, you know, completely unrelated product categories, potentially, potentially, you know, just as a company looks at its bottom line and, you know, needs to make room somewhere. Well, and maybe this was coming regardless. Who knows? I wouldn't speculate, I guess, to that. But um, and keep in mind, too, a seven hundred and seventy million dollar loss for Newell is I mean, that's a lot of money, but they're a multi-billion dollar company. Huge so they, company. they raked in a huge amount of sales yeah. in These guys own Rubbermaid and mm-hmm. stuff too. The only thing I was thinking is maybe it was a supply chain concerns as well. You're True. talking about a lot of plastics, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of textile type products that have been difficult right now. Yeah. So could have played a part as well. All right. Let's uh, move on to our next segment. In case you missed it, the stories that uh, you know stand to make a big impact on the industry, but weren't as popular with the readers this week. Anna... Let, what do you have for In Case You Missed It this week? Sure. So um, just when you thought that supply challenges in the auto industry were starting to reverse course, they're not. Um, <laughs> the, the AP is reporting that the easing of the computer chip shortage that was beginning to take place kind of in the last couple months mm-hmm. has been stopped in its tracks. And this time the problem is the Delta variant. <laughs> 
is everyone's problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has resulted in a surge of COVID-19 cases in many Asian countries that are the main producers of these auto-grade chips. So it's slowing down supplies again. Um, if you've been putting off that auto purchase because prices are just too high, prepare to wait even longer. Analysts are saying that uh, these record high prices at this point might not come back down until 2023. Wow. And just to put some specifics to that, according to the article, the average price of a new vehicle sold in the U.S. in August hit a record of just above $41,000, which is nearly $8,200 more than it was two years ago. Wait, can you say that again? That's according to J.D. Power. The average price of a new vehicle sold in August hit a record of just above $41,000, nearly $8,200 more than it was two years ago. That's incredible. Yeah. So... um, and I know that like last year, end of year, that that number got over 50 because at the end of the year, a bunch of people bought some really fancy cars. <laughs> yeah. Um, so who knows if it will go up even higher at the end of the year as people, rich people dump some money. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, uh, we had some really interesting comments on the website, uh, particularly about the automotive uh, market right now. Mm-hmm. Basically saying, if you're interested in buying a new car right now, Maybe don't until 2025, Mm -hmm. just because of all the disruption right now going on. You know, people are still going to try pushing out a product Mm -hmm. and there are going to be a lot of things potentially missing, missing or not built as they wanted to just because they got to stuff. Yeah, they got to get a product to market. And I thought that was Jeff, I thought that was a really interesting perspective because really we're in that spot right now where we have an old car that's hanging on. And it's just like, but the idea of buying anything new or new to us is just completely off the table right now. For that reason? Like, do you believe that? that oh, no, not for that. No, the pricing is why for that yeah. reason. But yeah. like, so I thought maybe uh, to Anna's point, like maybe around 2023, prices will start to kind of uh, get a little bit better. But, you know, things might still be pretty disrupted. <laughs> it's who knows? Yeah. I mean, those folks know better than we do. I mean, to try to try to speculate on what's going to happen with the automotive supply chain right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. Yeah. So we are here for wild speculation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything is fine. It's going to be bad be like, and it's getting worse. Like Kevin Bacon <laughs> in National Lampoon's all is well. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah I, I don't know. See, I don't, I don't buy in too much to like some of those comments in terms, I would actually go the other way. There's less coming out, I would think quality levels should be higher. There should be more time to focus on what you're doing because you're producing less stuff. So ideally, the quality (laughs) should be just as good. I'm picturing people with diapers just like just shining that baby up. They're like, this is the only car we made today. I mean, (laughs) you kind of hope. Um, But then again, there's labor issues too. So there are, there are labor issues. I mean, it's, it's, hopefully it's not that long. I mean, if we don't have to wait that long for it, but yeah, if we got to pay more for for a new car. I mean, I haven't bought a new car in a while. So yeah, not, uh, I think it's more interesting to see what's going to happen with the used car market. Cause for a while you could get a really good vehicle mm-hmm. and get for a really good price. That's where I noticed it with three teenage drivers. Yeah. Um, it's kind of scary now, even the used car market, how tough that is and how much more expensive those vehicles are. Well, and they're going to remain in lockstep, right? I mean, yeah. I don't see how that changes when Agreed. the new car market doesn't. Um, to that point, our the car we're looking to replace went from couldn't get any value in trade to fifteen hundred dollars in trade, and they just emailed us again saying they'd give us two grand in trade for it now. Just, but I'm like, what am I going to trade for? Like, uh, can I trade it for just like services on the one we keep? <laughs> <laughs> Lots a lot of oil changes. <laughs> That's right. I'll be set for a while. These are IOUs, sir. These are as good as money. <laughs> All right, my In Case You Missed It this week was a story about Amazon appealing to marijuana users to fill positions. Amazon basically needs delivery drivers, and the company is going to tweak the vetting process. The company recently advised its delivery partners to tell job seekers that they will not be screening for cannabis use. Amazon thinks the move could increase job applicants by as much as 400%. Right now, failed tests have eliminated up to 30% of the worker pool. Responses were mixed. While cannabis use is often a reason drug tests are failed, you know, uh, the rules and uh, delivery partners are concerned about potential insurance and liability issues, particularly in states where marijuana is illegal. So my thought is that testing for marijuana and cannabis use 
uh, or cannabis use should be more in line with alcohol, you know, test in the event of an accident. Um, and we talked about this the other week where uh, a lot of people were being eliminated from potential um, like the uh, logistics jobs mm-hmm. as a result Truck of. Drivers. Yeah. So I don't know. I uh, Anna, this was your story this week. And I just really found it interesting because, uh, you know, Amazon has kind of flirted with getting into cannabis. And uh, this is just another step showing not only that they're pro cannabis, but, um, you know, they're willing to make some concessions because they need delivery drivers. Mm -hmm. And I think concessions need to be made Mm -hmm. in some cases with this stuff. I mean, obviously you have to keep an eye on safety. You have to keep an eye on your liability costs and your insurance costs, but obviously they've looked at this. Amazon is a big company. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They didn't just throw this out there. Right. Yeah. No, that Um, would be if it was Tesla, it would just be a tweet. You know what? No more cannabis problems anymore. We are just eliminating that. Yeah. Scramble. Uh, it just seems like they, you know, they've run the numbers and and determined that they're more it's more cost effective to get more drivers out there and and so I don't know. I mean, it's uh a lot of people I think are deterred from even applying for some of these jobs because they're recreational users of cannabis mm-hmm. and don't intend to utilize cannabis while they're on the job. Um many of them don't. I know that's hard, that's hard to prove, but um but unfortunately, that you know pulls them out of certain markets. So I don't well, know. it's uh, Jeff. I kind of think of it as you know <clears throat> when someone comes to the job and they're comp- they're clearly inebriated, you can tell, and you either you know then there's you know the test yeah. or the reprimanded or you know like in a shop if a uh, there uh, someone breaks a tool or a machine goes down, you know the worker goes in for a drug test. Yeah, and I don't know. I think it should be more of a reactionary screening, I guess. Yeah, it sort of speaks to the, I don't know, decriminalization of, of cannabis or marijuana use. Yeah, I know I've softened on this a lot. In my mind, there was mm-hmm. a lot of it that's a drug, should mm-hmm. be treated differently. But really, when you look at how it's used, the impacts it can have, it's really not different than alcohol. Yeah. Um, and you can tell if somebody's abusing alcohol. Mm-hmm. You can tell if somebody's abusing this as well. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be shown in their actions. So to hold a previous offense against them and limit them from possibly getting a job, making mm-hmm. a living... Yeah, I'm with Amazon on this one. I think it's a good move. Yeah, and it's, you know, we've seen other manufacturers, you know, maybe not come out as publicly as Amazon and say, hey, we're not even screening for it. But, you know, it's sort of accepted that, like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You know, just Mm -hmm. don't have Oxy in there. (laughs) Well, just be responsible. It's like any other, like I said, it's just like having a drink. Yeah. You know, be smart. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jeff, what is your, in case you missed it this week? So I'm going to open myself up to probably a little bit of ridicule here because yes. this this picture that we had with you're welcome <laughs> glad glad my self deprecation can bring you all some joy it does um, it's just because I saw this picture for this story it definitely brought back some memories so when I was a freshman <laughs> in high school oh boy the um, is so good. I actually broke my collarbone oh. Um, wiping out of my bike. And the weird thing, not to get too far into this, like I actually don't remember this happening. Oh. Um, I went to football practice. I came back. I was going to meet up with some friends. And I came back and I said like my shoulder hurt or whatever. I didn't even offer any details. I just woke up on the couch and I was wearing this big brace and everything else. Apparently I'd wiped out on my bike, broke my collarbone. Whoa. Um, like, Why would we laugh bad. at this, Jeff? Yeah. What? How are you bad. opening yourself up to ridicule? Who do you think we are as people? Oh, come on now. Well, wait, I've, I've, we've been pretty tough on some people. How come the two video guys are laughing right now? They are See? still laughing. Yeah. yeah. They're monsters. So, so this story is about basically a backpack bikers can wear, bicyclers can wear, that has an airbag in it. Mm-hmm. So basically it senses if there's too much movement, it deploys an airbag. It's supposed to relieve a ton of the different um, d- impact. Yeah. Uh, let me read here my... Internet is not great. Is it Evox Sports or EVOC Sports? It's a new that they put it out. They call it the Commute Air Pro 18. It's designed to protect the rider's upper body, neck, shoulders, collarbone, mm-hmm. and chest. Because I also suffered a pretty good concussion when I oh, fell geez, apparently. Because no I do not remember any of this happening. Um, it's also said the sensors, which last about 32 hours per use, measure the position and orientation of the backpack up to 1,100 times a second. So if it falls, the detected. Basically, this inflates in two-tenths of a second to protect the rider, Mm -hmm. which I thought was cool because Mm -hmm. having gone through this situation, this would have been really nice. Now, this was also a period of time when nobody wore a helmet when they were riding their bike, which would have been helpful. 
So if it can prevent something like I dealt with, and the worst part about it, the thing that pissed me off the most, is I had just been done through the first two weeks of football, oh. which is like the hardest yeah, part. Oh, and you days. didn't get injured. <clears throat> and yeah, then you... and then like mm-hmm. right before the season starts, um, yeah. Were you out for yeah. the season? I was. Oh. Yeah. Was he out for the season? Yeah. <laughs> he was. Yeah. yeah, he was in a turtle shell. Well, no. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't that. wasn't like what others in this office. Your, collar, <laughs> your collarbone f- fixes fast, though. I mean, like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it did heal, but it's just like with football, it's impact. Yeah. Especially your shoulder. So yeah, I was done for the year. Um, do you know how you got into the bike accident? No, I don't remember. The doctors think I might have been hit by a car or something like that. Like, this I don't is know. a horrible no, story. So did you get home? I got home, There's wiped out, <clears throat> came back home, Yeah. said I didn't feel good. I was going to lay down. Yeah. Woke up freaking out because everything hurt. Yeah. Parents took me to, I don't remember any of this. Oh my Parents God. took me to the doctor, to the emergency room. They said what was going on, sent yeah. me home. And I woke up on the couch with this big brace on going, what happened? Yeah. It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty scary. You you lost like days, but I look probably looked like this photo, like yeah. the guy going mm-hmm. yeah. head over heels. Whenever they <laughs> uh, over the handlebars. I mean, when this person was hired to uh, model some new uh, cycling equipment, <laughs> he was like, "What do you need me to do?" <laughs> like, um, I actually I really enjoyed uh, this story, and I like this product too because I know that they've uh, designed a similar product for. Uh, uh, motorcycle uh, riders, yeah, skiers uh, too, yeah. Um, where there are sensors, and they know that if you leave your bike, it automatically inflates, and it can help people. I mean, anything that can save lives, regardless of how ridiculous it might look. Like uh, nobody cares how they look as long as they live. And uh, you know, our video producer Alex uh, mentioned that he could have used this because it, while it wasn't a bicycle accident, he had a pretty crazy accident on a one wheel. And uh, I know that if he was wearing some sort of inflatable life jacket, uh, things might have gone a little bit better. I know that. Uh, Which you wouldn't have been wearing. So yeah. let's just. <laughs> he, you know what? I'm sure that he would have taken the proper precautions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Put on the Evoc Commute Air Pro 18 mm-hmm. and then went about his way on the one wheel. Yep. Yeah. That's what Alex would have done. <laughs> He's unsure as to whether or not he was wearing shoes. But again, maybe once he remind, remember to put on the life jacket. Then about what we could do. Not what we did do. Exactly. Um, but, you know, repurpose the turtle shell as like an end table. Really nice. No. Um, all right. We have a couple of reader comments. Uh, uh, reader Carrie says, fruit pies are a pox on the nation. If you're going to say you're a dessert, at least have some de- decency to put some chocolate in it. I agree with that, Carrie. Yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. I would, I would throw a fruit pie in the trash if there was anything chocolate mm-hmm. next to it. I like it when people mm-hmm. bring fruit pies into the office so I can sneer at them mm-hmm. every time I pass by. Uh, also, uh, Carrie found out that we are assessing the value of our car for trade. Um, it sounds like you and Carrie have somewhat of a connection. As she likes to say, it's like we're passing ships. And I didn't realize how big of a red flag that was until this moment. No, uh, <laughs> uh, they're just emails. We're just sent, you know, uh, like every dealership sends you, I think, like almost monthly emails now on the value of your car because they're trying to get you to. Um, Sounds like you're it. kind of proactive. You mm-hmm. have to like take the first step. Though, yeah. David. What's I'm his name? Proactive and only I open the email. Until they get you. I guess. I guess. I've, I've been got. All right. Let's move on to our final thoughts this week. Anna, do you have any final thoughts for our readers, uh, listeners, I, viewers? So this week, it's been starting to get into like the 50s and 60s in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I love summer, but I will get my crockpot out right now. Oh, it's crockpot season. I know. And the Packers play on Sunday. And like I used to be really um, like a fall hater because mm-hmm. it signals like the end of summer and it starts to get darker and colder and it just... Made me really sad. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm old. Wow. That went dark fast. I know it did. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Now that I. But guys, I was going to turn it around. Oh, okay. I was yeah, going to bring right. it back. All right. All right. So, right. Okay. But now that I'm old, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, I uh, fall is by far and away yeah. my favorite season. Yeah, it's happening, I think. It's supposed to be 90 on Saturday. But then. Yeah. No, the fall's getting, it's getting shorter. You know, it's uh, weird to be 90s in Wisconsin in September. Close to mid-September, but, you know, that science is all hooey anyways. Uh, Jeff, uh, what's your final thought this week? I also love the fall. One of the things that is, I don't know, it seems like very polarizing for some reason, Mm -hmm. 
But like in the fall, we hear more about pumpkin spice stuff oh, or like God. pumpkin yeah. everything. Don't do it. I love pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Like I could all year round. Yeah. Like why is it just a fall thing? I know traditionally why, but why Pro- you know, they just, they can only sell it for like a three month window because actually pumpkin spice. If you're talking about pumpkin in particular, yeah, pumpkin in particular, you know, you could eat as like a vegetable. Uh, I could do that or bake with it year round, right? But just, pumpkin spice, mm-hmm. that's a very short window. That's like the McRib. You have to create some <laughs> yeah. artificial demand there. Like uh, I've purchased the uh, pumpkin spice or like the fall spice coffee in just yeah. like the little one pound container. Mm-hmm. Never make it to the end of that thing. Oh, we buy more of that. Oh, so we really? can have it through the year. I oh, love man. it. No, it's uh, What about pumpkin pie, David? I That used to be the <laughs> lone pie. I mean, I'll eat it, but I prefer pecan pie. No arguments there. Yeah. It's just a superior pie. <laughs> um, my final thought this week is very similar to last week's because this today, though, this time we're going to actually do those taste tests and then they'll be out next week. So while I told everybody to watch them the previous week, it was just a real, you know, a long tease, long tease. They're coming mm-hmm. out next week now. So uh, most likely have some cool new products to taste test. And uh, those videos should be out this week. Should be a lot of fun. Most likely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Anything else, you guys, before we get rolling? Let's get out of here. Very good. All right. Before we get going, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. And if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Also, you can subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters, Make sure you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti, and this is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.